just want to share one prayer request for you on behalf of Dave Zepnick. Uh, today he was here, but he's carrying a heart monitor, and so that's something he hasn't before. So just as you think about him, especially through the season, just be in prayer for him, his heart. Uh, I know he's had struggles with this for a long time, but it seems to have gone to another level here. All right. Well, take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, as we begin our series of messages through this month to keep our hearts and minds focused on Christ and the real reason for the season. Romans chapter 1. You know, one pastor shared this comment by Martin Lloyd-Jones, who opened up a sermon on Paul's phrase, the gospel of God. By stating his fear that we are often so familiar with certain words such as gospel or so academic in our approach to them that we are not thrilled and moved to the depths of our being by the wonder of it all. You know, I have to confess there are times that this is true of me. And so it's good for me to meditate upon the first four verses of this chapter throughout this past week. It was good for my own heart. I want you to follow with me as I read those first four verses. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his Son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. What you have here in these four verses is part of Paul's salutation to the church at Rome, which actually extends through verse 7. It's the longest of his salutations, in which he was introducing the theme of the gospel. He mentions it there in verse 1. But then he comes back to it again there in verse 9, where it says, For God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of His Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you. But he doesn't stop there. He comes back to it again in verses 15 to 17. Of chapter 1. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written. But the righteous man shall live by faith. You see, Paul was moved to the depths of his being by the wonder of the gospel. Such that it permeates all of Romans in some fashion or another. Elsewhere, the apostle Paul wrote these words, Woe is me if I preach not the gospel. He said that in 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 16. And so, beloved, as you and I enter this holiday season, are we prepared to share the good news of Christmas? It's a good question. We should. Times like this are a wonderful opportunity 
in God's providence to do such. And this passage here actually encourages you with three reasons why. And so I want you to carefully consider each one of them so that you are challenged to remain faithful. And what I'm going to share with you this morning is not new. Okay, you've heard these things before. They're simply reminders, but we do need reminders, don't we? Because <laughs> we easily forget real quick. So often you can hear a message like this and then go out and go home and then kind of go, well, what was the message about? Yeah, we easily forget. And so we need these reminders often, and especially during this season when we want to bring forth the gospel to the hearts and lives of people. Well, the first reason is captured there in verse 1. As he begins this epistle, Paul says this, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. So what is the reason here? It's simply this. Christians have a calling to the gospel. Christians have a calling to the gospel. Clearly, what you have here is Paul describing his calling before God. And no doubt it was unique as he was appointed as an apostle of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. In fact, in Galatians 1, 13 to 17, we have his own personal testimony. Listen to this. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond all measure and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. That was Paul's calling. That's his testimony. Now, no Christian today could ever be an apostle, right? Yes. <laughs> no person, no, no Christian could ever be such. Because one of the requirements was what? He had to be an eyewitness of the resurrection of Christ. That's clearly stated in Acts chapter 1 and verse 22, and also by the Apostle Paul himself in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 8. And by the way, he did see the resurrected Christ. It says there in 1 Corinthians 15 that he was an apostle born out of due time. And where did he see the resurrected Christ? On the road to Damascus. Yeah, he met Jesus there and committed his life and heart to him and to the ministry of the gospel. However, like Paul, all believers do belong to God as bondservants. Slaves of Christ. Doulos, that's the word that's used here. You and I were slaves of sin. Yes, we were. But we were bought by the blood of Jesus. And now we are His slaves. Willing slaves, that is. Longing to do our master's bidding. Isn't that your heart? As a Christian, that's the way it should be. I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. I want to do His will, whatever that may be. 
And then, in this relationship, the Apostle Paul here spoke to this. Look with me at Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Because Paul expounds on this and our relationship to Jesus Christ. He says, in beginning in verse 15, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so right here in Romans, the Apostle Paul went on to say what our relationship is to Jesus Christ. We are his slaves, slaves of righteousness, willing slaves, because we have been delivered from our sin. And in this relationship, Christians are also set apart for the gospel, just as Paul spoke there at the latter part of verse 1. You and I have a responsibility to proclaim this gospel. And why not? We've experienced it, right? So why would we hold it within? Once again, the Apostle Paul spoke to this later in Romans. Turn with me to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. We could start back at verse 9, but I'll, I'll begin with verse 13. But whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in Him in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. However, they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Amen and amen. We belong to Christ. He saved us by His grace. We're His willing slaves now because of what He's done in our life. And so therefore, we're to proclaim what we have received before this lost and dying world. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Verse 20, it says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. As some or maybe most of you know, uh, our facility where my wife and I live, the duplex, was up for sale. 
and we've got now a new landlord. Everybody was asking us, boy, you're going to have to move out. Well, we didn't know. Uh, but uh, praise the Lord for his grace. Uh, we don't have to move out. We're able to remain there. And the other night, um, he came over to visit with my wife and I uh, to talk about the rent. <laughs> yeah, and also to talk about just the building since we had been living there for the last 17 years. He's just wondering, hey, what's been done and what needs to be done? So we, we were glad to help him out in that way. But you know, as I was talking to him, I was more concerned about how can I share with this man the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as he was telling me <laughs> that our rent is going up a hundred bucks, <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking, you know, he needs the Lord. And uh, not just because I want the rent to come down. No, I tell you, I, I uh, shared with them that I'm a Christian, uh, that the Lord has saved me by His grace from my sin, and that I'm a pastor, and my desire my whole life is to bring that message, that saving message, to those who do not know the Lord. And my wife was just affirming it all along as we were talking to him, and I asked him if he had a Bible. And he said, I, I do. And I said, well, I'll tell you what. I want to give you this little booklet. It's Gospel Meditations for Christmas. Now, if you remember rightly, I think we handed these out about four years ago or so. We're, we're out of them now, but I ordered a whole bunch this, this past week uh, because I want to have them hopefully by the end of next week, and you could pick up one for yourself. These are little devotionals every day uh, to keep your heart and mind on the Gospel uh, the reason for the season, but also you may have some friends, some family, some co-workers, people that you go to school with that you'd like to share this with. This would be a great opportunity to share with them the gospel through this and to talk with them about the Lord. In fact, when my landlord left, I said, hey, look it, uh, I'd like to talk with you sometime about these things. So if you have any spiritual questions, I'd be more than happy to sit down with you and talk with you about it. And he said, sure. Yeah, thanks. Now, whether he will or not, that's another matter. But that's where our hearts should always be, uh, no matter what, even if it's not the season. <laughs> it's a season all the time, actually, to bring the gospel. That's what God has called us to do. And so I pray that you will truly see and embrace your calling and be committed to proclaiming this glorious message, the message of the gospel. Well, there's another reason for sharing the good news as seen there in verse 2. It's not just because we have a calling to the gospel, but there's something else here which he goes on to say, which, and that's referring back to the gospel of God there in verse 1, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. And so what do you notice there? What's another reason for sharing this gospel message? It's because Christians have the promise of the gospel. Christians have the promise of the gospel. And it was promised by God in the Old Testament. As Paul said here, 
through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. He's referring to the Old Testament. And I do believe that he said this under the inspiration of the Spirit, particularly for the Jews in his audience. If you remember, the Jews were so blind to the very word which Yahweh gave to them. How many times did Jesus had to say to his own people, it is written, it is written, it is written, pointing them back to the scriptures, the scriptures of the Old Testament. He also would say, search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life and they are they which testify about me. And so this morning, I just want to take some time and I would ask you to be patient in this, to bear with me in this. And let's let us look at a few passages revealing the promise of the gospel. Let's go back to the Old Testament and see what it has to say. Beginning with Genesis 3 and verse 15. Go back with me to Genesis. This is the first announcement of the gospel in Scripture. It sure is. And here you have... The situation after the fall and God speaking to Satan. And this is what is said. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. Who is her seed? The Lord Jesus Christ. Absolutely. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. That's the first announcement of the gospel. Turn with me over to Genesis chapter 12. This is one of those passages you probably wouldn't necessarily turn to as a declaration of the gospel, a promise of the gospel in the Old Testament. But it says here in Genesis 12 verses 1 to 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great and so you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you, I will curse. And notice what it says at the end of verse 3. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. To whom was that speaking? The Lord Jesus Christ. How do I know that? If you go back to Galatians, and you don't have to, but in Galatians chapter 3, verse 8, the Apostle Paul said this, The Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. Yeah. Turn with me also over to Psalm. Psalm 16. Psalm 16. Verses 10 and 11. It says these words. David is speaking. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. Nor will you allow your Holy One 
to undergo decay. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. In Acts 13, verses 32 to 37, the Apostle Paul highlighted this passage of Scripture in defense of the resurrection. That aspect of the gospel, which is so, so very important. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7, a very familiar portion of Scripture in the Old Testament. Isaiah 7. I want to read verses 10 to 14. Then the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Make it deep as sure or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Then he said, Listen now, O house of David. Is it too slight a thing for you to try the patience of men, that you will try the patience of my God as well? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Our young people saying that this morning. And in Matthew chapter 1, the angel of the Lord referenced this passage of Scripture in regards to the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn with me over to Isaiah 53. We can't leave the Old Testament without looking at this portion of Scripture, which speaks to the suffering servant. It doesn't identify him by name, but we know who it is. Isaiah 53 We could read the whole chapter, but I'll begin with verse 4. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried away. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. And then verses 9 and part of verse 10. His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. That's quoted by Peter in First Peter 2. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. Isaiah speaks these words some 700 years before the time of Christ. It was promised in the Old Testament. Go with me over to Micah. Jonah, Micah, Nahum. Micah. Micah chapter 5. Beginning with verse 2. Micah 5. But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah... From you, one will go forth for me to be a ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Therefore, he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has borne a child. Then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel. And he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will remain because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. This one will be our peace when the Assyrian invades our land, when he tramples on our citadels. Then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight leaders of men. What is this prophesying? 
the place of Jesus' birth. Bethlehem. And so you have these wonderful announcements, promises that are made in the Old Testament to the gospel. Over and over again. Are these all of them? No. I've got a, a number of them here that I chose not to even look at. Just for the sake of time this morning. I just want to give you a flavor of all the promises that are in the Old Testament concerning the gospel. And the point of all this is that what has been promised regarding the gospel has also been fulfilled. <laughs> it's been fulfilled. God does not lie. Amen? What he promised, he will keep. And he did. And so Christians enjoy the blessings of delivering a message. That is true. It's no fairy tale. Not at all. And so, beloved, let us go forward with confidence. I mean confidence. Sharing the message of the gospel. Christians have a calling to the gospel. Christians have the promise of the gospel. Two solid reasons to be sharing it. But there's still one more. Let us go back to Romans. 1 verses 3 and 4. This leads right out of what we just discussed in the promise. Concerning his son. And this goes back to the gospel stated at the end of verse 1. Who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh. Who was declared the son of God with power. By the resurrection from the dead. According to the spirit of holiness. Jesus Christ our Lord. So what's highlighted here? Christians have hope in the gospel. Christians have hope in the gospel. And hope, when I say that, is something that is certain. And this hope is in the person of Jesus Christ. We have the promise of the gospel, but that hope is in the person of Jesus Christ. It's something certain. God not only promised the gospel, but he delivered good on it in Christ. According to his perfect will and timing. That's why I love what it says in Galatians 4, in verse 4. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. He gave us hope. The eternal son of God left the realms of glory to be born, to take on humanity. And this was absolutely necessary. On one hand, to live our life and to live it perfectly, but also to die in our place. And yet on the other hand, it was to become the promised Messiah and King declared in the Old Testament. That's why it says here, a descendant of David according to the flesh. You see, Jesus' natural mother, Mary, and his legal father, Joseph, were descendants of David. Luke 1, verse 27, declares that very thing. And so Jesus became the one to restore and rule 
David's kingdom. That's what he would do. That's what he promised in the Old Testament. This was all to fulfill the Davidic covenant declared in 2 Samuel 7, 12 to 16. Very important. In fact, so much so that Isaiah speaks to it. Go with me to Isaiah 9. Isaiah 9. So often we turn to this passage to declare the birth of Jesus, which it is declared in verse 6. But only shortly. The rest of what is said here is what... Paul is emphasizing about being a descendant of David and how important that was. That he would become the one who would restore and rule David's kingdom. Look what it says there in verse 6. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. Amen and amen. Okay? And now you have this part. And the government will be or rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom. To establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness. For then on and forevermore, and I love this last phrase, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. So what was promised with regards to Jesus' first coming has taken place. He was born. What is being referred to here is something that is yet to come. Will that happen? You can bank on it. Just as certain as the promises concerning his first coming took place, so the promises regarding his second coming will take place. And Jesus will reign as king of kings and lord of lords. It had to be a descendant of David. And that's why Paul here is emphasizing this in verse 3. How wonderful. But you know, Paul didn't stop there. He keeps going on here in verse 4 to say this. Who was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the spirit of of holiness. Now I'm going to just say there is a lot of theology there that we're not going to get into. But he was simply saying this that through the power of the Holy Spirit Jesus rose from the dead and gave further irrefutable evidence that he was indeed the son of God. That's what's being stressed. You see the Greek word for declared there is horizo, which means to separate or to mark off by boundaries. As you know, the horizon sets apart what? The earth from the sky? You know that. Well, the resurrection uniquely distinguished Jesus from the rest of humanity. It certainly did. It actually became his exaltation. It was the beginning of his exaltation. Jesus, according to Philippians 2, left the realms of glory. He was born. That's a humility you and I can't even comprehend. He lived our life and he lived it perfectly. But others did not see him as God. And he died a death. Not any old death, but the death of the cross. He was humbled in his humility. He went to the very lowest of low. But then Philippians 2, 9-11 tells us, That God highly exalted him and gave him a name which is above every name. 
And that all began with the resurrection. Indeed, Jesus is set apart from the rest of humanity in that he is God, very God, declared through the resurrection. Yes, Jesus was fully man, as verse 3 declares, born of a descendant of David, but he was also fully God, the God-man. That's hard for us to get our mind and heart around, isn't it? But it's true. The Scriptures teach it. And only as God could he forgive sin, provide eternal life, be Lord of our lives, and one day reign as King of kings and Lord of lords. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 1 Corinthians 15. I love how the Apostle Paul sums this all up right here. Just in a different way from what we see in Romans 1, 3, and 4. 1 Corinthians 15. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel. Someone was asking me that after the first service. Did you know that? (laughs) So, what is the gospel? It's right here. He goes on. Which I preach to, which also you receive, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised the third day according to the Scriptures. Now look with me at verses 12 to 14. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is vain. Yes, we have the wonderful message of the gospel. And beloved, every time I meditate on these truths, I am in awe of the wisdom of God. Just this past week, just thinking through these first four verses, I go, wow, you planned this before the foundation of the world. It was left up to me. I I wouldn't have figured this out. No way, come close. But God in his immense wisdom did for our sakes to offer us grace in him. And yet at the same time, my heart is warmed by our hope in Jesus Christ. Isn't your hope in Jesus Christ this morning? Hmm? Amen. Amen. Is your heart warmed by that? Yes. It should be. God in His grace came to you, helped you to see your lost condition, your sin, and that Jesus was your only hope. And you turned to Him because of what's said in the Scriptures. You put your faith and trust in Him and He changed you and gave you eternal life. Changed your life. It's no wonder that Warren Wearsby shared this short story that I want to share with you. On May 24th, 1738, a discouraged missionary went very unwillingly to a religious meeting in London. There a miracle took place. About a quarter before nine, He wrote in his journal, I felt my heart strangely warmed. 
I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. That missionary was John Wesley. The message he heard that evening (laughs) was the preface to Martin Luther's commentary on Romans. Wow, what the Lord will use to draw a heart to him. Just a few months before, John Wesley had written in his journal, I went to America to convert the Indians, but oh, who shall convert me? That evening in Aldersgate Street, his question was answered. And the result was the great Wesleyan revival that swept England and transformed the nation. Amen. To God's grace in Wesley's life. The gospel declared here in Romans is still transforming lives just as it did Wesley and Luther. It is. We see it. We hear the testimonies of those who have been baptized or are being baptized. And we rejoice because we know it's a miracle of God's grace in their heart through the gospel. And it's only through the gospel. As I read earlier from Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's the power of God to salvation. And so may God encourage you to proclaim the good news. How can we hold this message within? We can't. Because of the hope, we must proclaim it. Because we've embraced that hope. We must proclaim it. One pastor pointed out, the gospel ultimately doesn't come down to, can Jesus give me a happy life? Rather, the crucial question is, who is Jesus Christ? Is he the eternal son, risen from the dead, exalted as Lord? Amen. Yes. (laughs) If so, then make sure that He's your Savior and Lord. Could there be this morning amongst us one, maybe several, who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ of the gospel, the one who was promised, the one that has been offered to us in grace and mercy? Could there be one? Sure. Our prayer for you is that you would turn from your sin and trust Christ alone for salvation. What a wonderful way to to begin this Christmas season by receiving the main reason for the season. Jesus himself, whom God sent for us. That's the good news of Christmas. If you've embraced Christ as Savior then may your calling to the gospel, the promise of the gospel, and your hope in the gospel both challenge and inspire your hearts this morning to be faithful in bringing that glorious message. That's what we've been called to do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. And what a blessing it is to just take a few moments out, beginning this Christmas season, to think about the gospel God, help us to be compelled in our hearts 
not to hold this wonderful message within. This wonderful message that you, God, in your grace, helped us to see clearly and embrace for our own selves. May we take the opportunity of this Christmas season especially to open up our hearts and our voices and proclaim this message. And so work in the hearts of your people to that end. In Jesus' name, amen.